well, are you guys enjoying this series? Okay, some of you are. <laughs> All right, yeah, it's a good series. I like this. I, I thought this was a great idea, personally. Um, for me, it was, it was way easier for me to kind of understand the flow of the Bible when I, when, I, when I went through the Old Testament and tried to pick out kind of the main stories and how everything flowed. And so that's what we're trying to do. All we're trying to do is trying to connect the dots between creation through the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and Jesus' birth at Christmas time. And so last week we left off with the Israelites. They, are, they start the conquest of the promised land, this land that God had promised them uh, um, <clears throat> hundreds of years before. And uh, they start, is, Moses is, is dead, he's gone, and they have a new leader, and his name is Joshua. And the first city that they come to is a city called Jericho. That's what we talked about last week. And they took this, this major city, Jericho. And after they, they conquer Jericho, they go from city to city to city to city, which, by the way, is exactly what God had told them to do. And they start taking this land that God had prepared for them. And they do this for years until eventually Joshua dies. And when Joshua dies, Israel, they stop, right, which actually isn't what God wanted them to do. They didn't quite finish exactly what God had told them to finish. And they all go back home and they start living their lives and uh, this period after this is called the judges period. That's what, that's what we call it. And what God would do is he would raise up a leader in Israel, a judge, to kind of rule over Israel. And more importantly, to bring Israel back to God. Because Israel, just like a lot of us, is prone to, to falling away from God. They were in this like vicious cycle. The Bible tells us they would do whatever was right in their own eye. Hey, if I, if I feel like this is right to me, if I, I truly feel like it, then it must be okay. Very similar to our society today. And so this was going on. It was a cycle. They would follow God, then they would follow fake gods. They would follow God, then they would do life the way that they wanted. They would do life God's way, and then they would, they would um, fall away again. And this is a cycle that kept happening and happening and happening and happening over and over and over again. And God used these judges to bring them back. 350 years go by. And this is how Israel lives. And there's terrible, terrible, terrible stuff going on. If you, if you want to read the book of Judges, I mean, there's just, there's just bad, brutal stuff. And, um, and the last judge is this guy named Samuel. If you have read the Old Testament or portions of it, you probably have heard of this guy. And Samuel, he judges Israel his entire life until uh, he, gets, he gets old. And that's when he, he actually hands off his, his authority, I guess, to his sons and they become judges of Israel. But there's a problem. Samuel's sons, they're not like Samuel. They don't, they don't worship God the same way that Samuel does. They're all about themselves. They start taking bribes, and they're not righteous men. Actually, the Bible tells us that God viewed them as wicked in his sight. And so all of Israel, they recognize this, they see this. And so they go to Samuel one day, and they're like, Hey, Samuel, um, look around. Like, your sons aren't like you. They're not righteous like you are. They're not good judges. And then they look around, they say, Hey, look at that nation, that nation, that nation, that nation, that nation. They all have kings. All the cool kids, they all have kings. We want a king. Samuel, give us a king. And Samuel goes to God and, and God says, you know what? They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They're actually rejecting me. And God says, I, I have, I'm, they're asking for a king and I'm going to give them what they ask for, even though it's not best for them. And uh, God was supposed to be their king. And so he tells Samuel, I want you to go. I want you to anoint this, this really young guy named Saul. And I want him to be the first king of Israel. And so Samuel goes, and actually Samuel's impressed when he sees him. He's like the perfect example of what you think. Like, like think in your mind, like what a king should look like. All right, that's Saul. 
Bible tells us he's the most handsome man in all the land. He's, he's um, a head taller than everybody else. I mean, this is the guy. And when Samuel sees him, Samuel's like, yeah, this guy will work. Like, this guy looks like a king. And all of Israel, they see him and they're like, wow, all right, this is great. Like, this guy, this is a perfect, uh, this is like the perfect king for us. And so he starts off great. Everything seems to be going well. He's obeying God. God's given him victories, military victories. But, but Saul is really good at doing something that I feel like a lot of us are good at doing. He's really good at partially obeying God. Right? I mean, I mean, we're like champions at this. He's really good at partially obeying God. He would, God would tell him to do something, and, uh, and he would do it like 90%, but he just wouldn't quite finish. And he even had Samuel there who was kind of guiding Saul along. And, uh, and after this happens a few times, God goes to Samuel and he says, Hey, Samuel, guess what? I am rejecting Saul as king. I'm going to take this kingdom away from me or away from him and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And God tells uh, Samuel to go and anoint this kid, 13 to 14 year old kid, as the future king of Israel. And a lot of you guys know his name. His name is David. And God describes him as this. He says, this guy is a man after my own heart. I mean, just think about that for a second. Just pause. A man after my own. I mean, this is God of the universe, right? He's telling Samuel, he's like, hey, I'm going to anoint a man, a kid. And again, 13 to 14-year-old kid, a middle schooler. He's like, this middle schooler is a man after my own heart. God is describing him this way. I mean, what's that mean? Uh, what's different about David? Really, that's what I want to look at today. I want to quickly go through David's life. It's like it, this should be really a sin to try to pack David's life into one sermon because, because David's all over the Bible. He's got 66 chapters just dedicated to himself. He's, he's mentioned 59 times in the, in the New Testament alone. David is mentioned more than any other character in the Bible except for Jesus. All right, so I'm going to try to uh, bring it all in, kind of convince or uh, condense it down to one, uh, to one 30-minute sermon. And so don't freak out, anybody. We're not going to go through where everything. We're just going to try to pick out the best stuff. And, and uh, really what I want to do this morning is I want to pinpoint the most important thing that we can grab from David's life. And to me, I feel like it's got to be how to become someone after God's own heart. And so Samuel goes and he anoints David and, and he's just a kid. And, and he does this in secret because there's a, there's a little bit of a problem. Israel's already got a king, you know. And so he does this in secret and only David's family knows. I mean, this is like a death sentence if this information were to get out. And so Samuel goes and eventually, eventually Samuel dies. And uh, we don't really hear much about David until he has this really famous battle with this really huge guy named Goliath. Yes. And so let me paint the picture for you. Um, there's this group of people called the Philistines that were a nation over from Israel. And they were constantly at war with Israel. I mean, they were, they were, they were bitter enemies. And, uh, and they were at war with Israel at this time. And you got King Saul and his army, if you could picture this, up on this hill. And then you got this valley, and then up on this, the next hill over, you got the whole army of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines had this really huge champion. This guy was nine and a half feet tall named Goliath. And Goliath was, I mean, he was the man, undefeated, never been beaten. He was famous for killing people. And then that's, like, that's what he did. People would challenge him, and he would kill them. 
right? And so he's this champion. He, he, uh, he looked like a champion. Not only was, nine, was he nine and a half feet tall, but he's super strong. And he's got, he's got bronze body armor all over. His body armor weighed 125 pounds, all right? That kind of puts things into perspective. And he had this huge spear, and just the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. I mean, this guy was, was huge, and he was undefeated, and he was famous. Two times a day, in morning and the evening, he would come out from the Philistine ranks, and he would go down to the valley, he would look up at the, uh, at the Israelite army, and he would taunt them, and he would taunt not just the Israelites, but he also taunt God. And basically he was saying, hey, not everybody has to die. Why should we have this giant battle where all these people have to die? He says, hey, there's only one man that needs to die. You guys pick out your champion, and I'm the Philistine champion, and then we'll fight right here. And whoever loses, that nation will serve the other. That nation will become slaves to the winning nation. All right, makes sense. And, and he, he did this day in and day out for weeks. And the Bible tells us that Saul and his army, they are terrified. They don't know what to do. I mean, they are, they are scared. Actually, they feel like collapsing. All right? They, are, they, don't, they don't know what's going on. And so in the meantime, you got this kid named David. He's about 16 years old now. And one day his dad comes up to him and he says, hey, I want you to take some food to your three oldest brothers who happen to be in Saul's army. And so David takes the food and he goes to Saul's army and he's there giving the food to his brothers. And he happens to hear, or not Saul, he happens to hear Goliath out in the valley screaming and yelling and taunting God in Israel. And David is, I mean, look at, actually look at David's response here. It says, then David spoke to the men who are standing by him saying, okay, so you can kind of picture this. He's at the camp. He, there's this guy yelling. He's taunting God. And, and David's like, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Nobody's asked that question yet. Not one man from the Israelite army has asked that question yet. He, David's saying, who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? Notice, by the way, notice the difference between David and everybody else there. Saul and his army, they're terrified. They're scared. They don't know what to do. They're afraid. While David, he's not afraid. David's offended at what this guy is saying about his God. And so he starts talking and word, gets, word spreads quickly in the camp and Saul, he hears that, hey, he's told, hey, somebody, there's some guy who wants, to, who wants to fight that Goliath guy. And they've been waiting for weeks. And Saul's like, finally, somebody, a warrior. Like, finally, someone's brave enough to take this guy on. I've been waiting for this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so he's like, bring him in. And you know what Saul's thinking, right? Like, Saul's like, man, we got this, there's about this giant warrior, like one of my own men, a mighty, mighty man. He's going to come in here and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bless him. And then he's going to go off. He's going to take care of these problems. And, and then in walks this 16-year-old punk kid. You know what I'm talking about? Can you picture this? And Saul sees him and Saul's like, oh, you told me what? I, I can't send this guy. I can't send a kid. He's, he calls him a boy. He's like, you are a boy. You cannot go out there. And David's like, you know, he's, he's all pumped up. He's like, come on, coach, let me in. Like, I could do this. I got this, coach. And, uh, and, and David says, hey, I've killed actually a lion and a bear, which, by the way, is super sweet in my opinion. I wish I could say that, and I can't. And he's like, I killed a lion and a bear. But it's interesting. Let me just point out how he says that real quick. He says, hey, Saul, King Saul, I'm a shepherd. 
I'm not a warrior, but one time this bear came and tried to take one of my sheep and he says, the Lord rescued me. He doesn't say I did it. He says, the Lord rescued me and I took that bear and I killed it. Awesome. And he says, and then another time this lion came. And this lion came and it took one of my sheep and the Lord rescued me, not me. The God rescued me and I took that lion and I killed it. And David's like, if I go out there and face this, this champion of a man, he's like, I bet the Lord will rescue me again and I'll kill him. And so David eventually convinces Saul to let him go. And Saul's like, okay, fine, but man, you, you got to have some body armor. He's got, David's got really no weapons on him. And, and so uh, he tr- David actually tries to put on Saul's own body armor, but it doesn't fit. And David is like, I haven't practiced in these. I'm not wearing them. And Saul's just like, oh, this is, you know, this is terrible. And David runs out of the tent and he goes to meet Goliath. But before he goes to meet Goliath, he takes a detour. He goes down to a creek and he picks up some rocks. Now think about this, all right? David's a shepherd, right? Pretty boring job, I feel like. Uh, he spent, he's, a, he's a teenager. He's been doing this his entire life. Uh, he's out there 16, you know, 14 to 16 hours a day. Nothing to do. He's surrounded by sheep. Probably has no friends. All he has is a sling and he's surrounded by rocks. No cell service out there, right? A sling is surrounded by rocks. What do you think he's doing all day? I mean, yeah, he's, he's whipping these rocks around. He's probably actually pretty good. It's funny. I don't know what it is, but guys, like, especially like boys, let's say boys, all right? Boys have this thing with rocks. I don't know. Um, it's funny. My three-year-old son, Toby, I didn't have to teach him to go pick up a rock and throw it. He does that on his own. I don't know what that's all about, but he just like started doing that. And it's weird because we'll be going one way and he'll take a detour way out of the way just to grab a rock and to throw it, you know, three feet. He can't throw it very far. And it's just like, why? I don't get the point. We went to Thailand a few years ago and uh, it's weird. They, they, what, what were they doing? They were throwing rocks. Like all, there's a pond at one point, one place that we were at. And all the guys, they get, off the, they get off the truck and they immediately go and start picking up rocks and throwing them in the pond. I don't know what guys have about this, about rocks. That last summer, I spent a week long, uh, I was on a week long canoe trip with some high schoolers here, which by the way, I will never, ever do again. It was awful. And uh, during the free time, what are all the guys doing? They're all throwing rocks constantly. At one point, they're like throwing them up in the air and hoping that they don't get, it was like, got a little dangerous. But, uh, but yeah, everything progressed. They're all throwing rocks. It's weird. Guys have this thing with rocks and David's no different. Like David, you know, he's got a sling. He's got rocks all around him. I mean, he has gotten super good with slinging these rocks around. And so he, he goes to this creek, he grabs some rocks, and then he, he goes out to meet this champion of a man, a Goliath, with a stick in one hand and a sling in the other. And when Goliath sees David, he is ticked. He is furious. I mean, he's offended. He's like, out of all the armies of Israel, you send this kid to come out and face me? Actually, Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? He's never been disrespected like this in in his entire life. Actually, he tells David, he's like, I'm going to cut your head off. All right, usually you turn around when someone says that to you. But not David. This is what David says. He says, then David said to the Philistine, he says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and javelin. Which, by the way, yeah, normal. It's what you're supposed to do. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And then we'll skip one verse, and the next verse says, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice something right here. The battle that they're about to have, it's not about David. It's not about Goliath. It's not about King Saul. It's not about the Israelites. It's not about Philistines. The battle is about God. I mean, that's what David recognizes here. I mean, that's what he says. He says, this is the Lord's battle. Whoa. I don't know what happened. <laughs> anyway, he says, this is the Lord's battle. It's God. I don't know. He's sending me a signal. Show up. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, this is my battle. I mean, he's talking to Goliath, the champion. He's famous. Everybody knows him. He doesn't say, hey, this is my battle. No, he says, this is the Lord's battle. Right? He's, he doesn't say, hey, this day I will deliver Israel. That's not what he says. He says, hey, this day the Lord will deliver Israel. Then he says, the Lord will give you into our hands. I mean, look at David's thinking here. I mean, just look at his thinking. Everything he does, it's centered around God. Because in David's mind, David, or God is king of David's life. David's like, no, this is, this is God's. This fight, this isn't my fight. This is God's fight. And then David ran out to meet Goliath. If I were David, I mean, and I was super good at slinging stones around, you know, I'd be like, I'm going to nail this guy from a distance, you know. That's not what David does. David runs straight at Goliath as fast as he can, and then he slings his stone as hard as he can. He hits his mark right on Goliath's forehead. The stone, the stone sneak, or sinks in a little bit, and then Goliath stumbles, and he falls to the ground. And then David's got, all he's got is a stick, you know, and, and this sling. And so he keeps running. He goes up to Goliath's sword, and he pulls it out of his sheath, and then he cuts off Goliath's head. Which is interesting. It's the thing that Goliath told David that he was going to do to him. And then when this happens, all of the Philistine, ar Philistine army, I mean, they're just standing there and just like, think about it. Like two minutes before, they're all probably laughing and having a good time. And then this happens. They're just all like, what? Is it Goliath? That, the kid? What just happened? And they take off and they bolt. They run. And then when the armies of Israel, they see this and they're like, Oh, we're going to get them. And they go, and they go after the Philistines, and there's this big battle, and Israel um, is victorious by a long shot, all because David did something really that was uncomfortable. And David becomes a, a famous, I mean, he becomes instantly famous. I mean, he's a hero in the land. Word spreads quickly. I mean, everybody hears about what this, this kid David did. Actually, as the armies are victorious and they're celebrating, they're going through, kind of parading through the nearby towns, the, the Bible tells us that the women are out there. They're singing. They come up with, they make up the song, and the song goes, hey, Saul, King Saul, you've killed your thousands, but David, that 16-year-old kid, David's killed his tens of thousands. And they're singing that and singing that and singing that. And Saul hears that and he begins to hate David. Actually, he tries to kill David several times. And so David has to run away and he becomes a fugitive with his merry band of men for eight years. He's running from place to place to place to place. He doesn't have a home. He's got a bunch of guys that have followed him. 
But Saul with the Israelite army, they're constantly hunting David down to kill him. We, we actually even know that, uh, that David has the opportunity to kill Saul twice, at least two different times. But in David's mind, and all his friends are, or all his, all his men are like, hey, the Lord's given him into your hand. Hey, you need to, you need to take, take Saul out. Like, this, this has got to be from God. This happens twice. And uh, both times David's like, no, I'm not touching Saul because this is the Lord's problem. This is, God is king and, and he could take care of his problems. I'm not getting involved. And remember, this is even though David knows that he is the rightful king. That he has already been anointed king. He's been anointed king for years at this point. And he won't touch Saul. Why? Because God is king. So eventually Saul and his son Jonathan, who actually was super close with David. David and Jonathan were really were like best friends. Um, Saul and Jonathan end up dying in battle. And David is crowned king. Actually that process of being crowned king takes seven years. Because Saul has another son that's trying to take the throne. And there's this little struggle. And, and then, but finally, 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 everything, I mean David's crowned king. And everything seems to be going well, right? And uh, I mean think about it. God has allowed him to succeed in everything that he did. Anybody that rose up against Israel, um, David would win. David uh, had all these military victories. He defeats all of his enemies. Kings around him, they come and they bring David tribute. They've made David rich. David's got kids. Um, and, rem- and, and then he's a man after God's own heart. I mean, David has got it going on. He's living the life. How, you, you guys ever feel like that sometimes? Has there been points in your life where like, this is good? I remember um, the week after I got married, we had this house, and uh, I had to kind of fix it up. So everything's kind of new, you know what I mean? New carpet, new fresh paint, and all that stuff. And, uh, but we didn't have any furniture, all right? And uh, our living room only had a TV because that was important to me. So I was like, well, we're definitely... So I had a TV sitting in there with a cable box because I had to watch my Ohio State games. And, uh, but nothing else. That was the only thing in that room. And so I'm thinking, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to go a while like this. A few days in, um, you know, we'd sit on the floor with our backs up against the wall, and it was super uncomfortable and awful, and that wasn't going to, I couldn't watch an Ohio State game like that, and so I decided uh, we were going to go get a couch. So we went and got, got a couch, we brought it home, and I remember that first Saturday after I was home, after I, I got married, I'm sitting there on my own couch, I've never owned a couch before, in my own house, I've never owned a house before, watching my Ohio State game on my new flat screen TV that I had and, I, and, I, and I'm just sitting there and I've got a wife and she's bringing me lunch and I'm just like, dude, this is the life. Like, this is awesome. Big fan. That's how David feels. I mean, and David, every, he's finally king. He's a man after God's own heart. Everybody is looking up to him. It's been, he's had some rough years in the past, but it's all kind of finally come together. But then just a few years after being king of Israel, right when life is going good, we get another story that most of you guys have heard of. It goes like this. David, he, uh, he sends out his army to go fight a battle, which is very unusual. Usually the king would lead the army, but not this time. We're not told why. And David stays back, and uh, one night he can't sleep. And so he's up walking on his, on his roof of his palace, and he's overlooking his city that he built, Jerusalem. And, and he's overlooking his, his kingdom, his land. He's like, wow, this is great. And then he happens to notice there's a woman named Bathsheba. Yeah, she is taking a bath on a roof, uh, let's say a few roofs over. And he doesn't look away. 
and actually calls up a servant, and he's like, hey, who is that? And the servant's like, oh, you don't know who that is. That is Uriah. By the way, Uriah, one of David's mighty men, one of his closest friends, uh, one of his guards, who is actually at the battle fighting for him, servant's like, that is Uriah's wife. And David's like, wife, huh? Get her for me. I want her. And then you know how the story goes. He sleeps with her. Maybe they spend a couple nights together. And she goes back home and, and life becomes good for David. But just a few more weeks later, she sends a message to David. And she has uh, the words, I am pregnant. It's funny, when I'm telling the high schoolers this story, um, when, I, when, when I have this part where she sends the message, I'm pregnant, they're all like, oh, but you guys are a lot more mature. I appreciate that. <laughs> Seriously, it's nice. Um, so he gets the words, I'm pregnant. The dreaded words for David. That's not something David wanted to hear, okay? That is not good. And David's like, oh man, what am I going to do? And so he comes up with this plan, and he's like, I'm going to get Uriah. So he calls Uriah back, and he gets a report on how the battle's going on, going. And then he's like, hey, Uriah, you need to go home, and you spend the night at home, right? Make yourself comfortable, and then tomorrow you can go back to the battle. And Uriah's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. And David's like, what? He's like, how can I go home and sleep in my own house and be with my wife when I got my men out there, they're fighting in the, in the mud, sleeping in the mud, fighting for me. How can I do that? He's like, I'm not going home. And he, he slept outside the, the palace gates. He wouldn't, David could not get him to go home. How many of you guys have ever tried to get one of your friends to do something and they just won't do it and they don't have a good reason? It's just like they just won't do it. Maybe it's because you're the one asking them. You know what I'm talking about? Does that ever happen? Yeah, okay. Happens for like 10 of you. Um, you guys got some good friends. Um, here in, on our staff, we, uh, we're all of us, I think all of us, we're all in a fantasy football league. And uh, one thing that you could do in the league, by the way, let me just say this, I am number one in our league, so if you see any other guy on staff, you know, you just tell him that you know and that you respect me for that and that, all right? Um, but, but we have this fantasy football league. One of the things that you can do is you can propose a trade, right? That makes sense. Hey, I got this guy on my team. I'll trade you for that guy. And, uh, and what you try to do when you propose a trade is you try to convince them how good this will be for them. Hey, you got to accept this trade. Like, look how this will help your team in this way and that way. And, and you need this guy. And I'm just, I'm just offloading him for you. I'm doing this for you. It's funny because when you're proposing a trade in fantasy, you don't care about the other guy. Of course you act like you do, but in reality, you don't care. You only care about your own team. That's what David's doing. All right, by the way, if you see Tim Weishart, I have a trade proposed to him right now. If you can help me convince him to accept that trade, I really appreciate it. But that's what, that's what David's doing here. David's like, Uriah, go. Uriah's like, no. And then David has him stay for another night. And uh, the next night, he actually gets Uriah drunk, and he gets him. He's like, okay, you're good and drunk now. All right, there's your home. Go that way. Uriah still won't go. He sleeps outside the gate, and David doesn't know what to do. So he finally gets a letter. He scribbles some words saying, hey, I want Uriah to die and um, die in battle. And he wraps it up. He seals it. He gives the letter to Uriah, which is kind of messed up. And then he says, Uriah, please deliver this letter to your commander, to Joab. And he does that, and Uriah is killed in battle. Uriah is murdered. And then this is all going on. 
And David, and, and he thinks, every, and then he marries Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes his wife, and she has a kid, and, and he, everything's going back to good. He's like, oh, good, we're all, we're all good, everything's, everything's set. But then this guy, Nathan the prophet, finds out. Another one of David's friends, and he schedules an appointment with David, and he goes up to David. He's like, hey, David, I got this story. Um, we had something that happened in our kingdom. I just want you to be aware of it. Um, there was a shepherd, and remember, David was a shepherd, so this probably rang true for him. Um, and he's like, there's a shepherd. He had, a, he had all these flocks and all the sheep, and, and he's super rich. But then you had this, this super poor guy, and he had one little lamb. And, and he loved this lamb, and he cared for this lamb, and he was all about this lamb. He fed this lamb from the food... The, of the food of his table and he and he slept with this lamb and he loved this lamb and he was all about this little lamb kind of how some of you guys are with your pets you know what I mean he's all about this lamb and then this rich guy he had a friend come to town once one time one night and and he wanted to make a big feast so instead of but instead of getting one of his sheep he goes over to the poor guy's house he steals the poor guy's lamb and he kills it and they eat it and when David hears this David's like what David is enraged at this guy. He's like, I can't believe somebody would do that. And then, and then uh, Nathan, he looks at David in the eyes and says, David, you are that guy. You are that man. Look at David's response. It says that David said to Nathan, he says, I have sinned. He doesn't say against Uriah. He doesn't say against Bathsheba. He doesn't say against his wife. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. See, even though David was king, throughout David's life, he never forgot who the true king was in Israel. He never forgot. I mean, David's like, oh man, I have messed up. He like, he, he like recognized, he's like, man, I've, I've, I have spiritually face planted. You know, we've all been there before. We've messed up so bad. And we're just like, what, why did I do that? Why have I, what's going on? But, but for us, a lot of times we're not quick to, to admit it. Right? I mean, a lot of us, we like, what do we do? We justify it. I mean, we're super good at justifying things that aren't right. We're super good at making excuses. Well, yeah, I know that's not right, but, but you know, here's the reason why I did it. I mean, I have a good reason for doing what I did. That's not what David did. I mean, think about any other king in the world. They would have been like, yeah, well, of course I did that because I'm king. I can do whatever I want. It's not David. David's like, yeah, I've sinned against the true king. And he owns his sin. He says, um, he says, so I've sinned against the Lord. And then says, and then Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin because of how David reacted. You shall not die. But Nathan's like, there still will be a consequence for what you did. I mean, you had an affair. You had one of your friends murdered. And then you tried to hide it. He says, you did this in secret, but God's going to punish you in public. And then, ten, and then he walks out of the room, and 10 years go by. Nothing. Nothing happens. But then we get a series of stories that we see that are really about David's inner family that a lot of people skip when they, when they talk about David. I'm going to go through this really quick this morning. And this happens 10 years after uh, the Bathsheba issue and, and Nathan. And, and David's oldest son, Amnon, ends up falling in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And, and, and he's, he's consumed in lust after her, and eventually he rapes her. And after he rapes her, the Bible tells us he hates her. And when David finds out, he is super angry about it, but he does nothing. And then we're introduced 
to another son. His name's Absalom. This is the third, uh, David's third son. And we think his second son must have died because we don't hear anything about him. But his third son, Absalom, is Tamar's full brother. And he is furious. He hates his brother Amnon for what he did to his sister. He hates him. And two years go by and, and Absalom murders Amnon, the son who's, who's in line to become king. And then when Absalom does that, Absalom runs out of the country. He's worried about what his dad might do. And when King David finds out about what his favorite son, we find out later, is Absalom, did to his oldest son, he is upset, but he does nothing. See, so, much, so many times it's easier for us just to do nothing. Three years go by. David starts to miss his son, Absalom. And so he calls Absalom back. But then for the next six years, he refuses to see him. So Absalom's living in Jerusalem. He refuses to see him. And Absalom is so hurt by David that eventually Absalom begins to win the hearts of the, of the, of the people of Israel. And he ends up overthrowing his father, David. And then once Absalom becomes, he, he declares himself as king. And all the people declare Absalom as king. And then he tries to kill David, his own dad. And David has to take his family and they have to run for their life. And while they're running out of the city, the capital city of Jerusalem, there's people throwing rocks at him. I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And they're being hunted down by Absalom, who's trying to kill him. But eventually, Absalom's murdered by one of David's best friends his commander of his army. I mean, and, and David becomes king of Israel again. I mean, if you look at it, David's family, I mean, it's a mess. David does not sound like a good dad. I mean, you thought your family was messed up. Look at David's family. I mean, they're raping each other and murdering each other. Like, not good, right? Terrible. See, I feel like we hear about a guy like David, and we, we automatically think, oh, David, yeah, King David, he's a man after God's own heart. That's the phrase that kind of goes along with it. And this is what we think to ourselves. We think, well, that's not me. I mean, that can't be, that can't be me. I'll never measure up to David. I mean, David's a Bible character. Like, I'm never, he's a king. I'm never going to be like David. I'll never be a man after God's own heart. God cannot hold me to David's standard. But then we look at David's life, and sometimes it's the life that's not preached on very much. And we look at David, and we're like, dude, David has some huge problems. I mean, David is a lot like a lot of us. See, what set David apart, what set him apart as being a man after God's own heart, wasn't that he was perfect. He wasn't perfect. He was far from perfect. It was the fact that David never forgot who the true king was during both good times and when he had messed up big time. I mean, a lot of times we automatically think, you know, a man after God's own heart, well, that means the absence of sin. Like, that means there's no sin going on and he's, and he's got everything, he's got everything under control. That's not what it means. A man after God's own heart wasn't about being perfect. It's not about not sinning. It's not about always making the best choices. It's not about the things that we had done in the past. It's about acknowledging God as king of our life, no matter what stupid things that we've done. And so my obvious question this morning is who is king of your life like right now, this very minute? Who's king? Who do you serve? Your job? Your family? All of us in here, ourselves? You know, that's what Saul was super good at doing. He was, Saul was great at, yeah, God, I'm, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do most of what you want, but I also am going to serve myself. Hope you don't mind. I mean, that's Saul. That's the way he lived his life. But then you got David. 
And, and he uh, viewed God as king. He recognized God as king when he was with Goliath, right? When, when things were going well and he's like, hey, you know, this is maybe, that's probably the best day of his life. And he's like, God is king. I'm not doing this. This is God. But then even during the worst days of his life, when he's standing there and, and he's got Nathan standing before him and Nathan's saying, you are that guy. And even then David's like, you're right. I'm not king. God is king. And so the question is not how good we are, not how perfect, not what we've done. The question is, who do we recognize as king even when we mess up? See, David's the perfect example of how a messed up man can cling to God, especially after sin. That is what made David a man after God's own heart. And so that's where I want to leave you guys. Who do you serve? Who's your king? Are you someone that's after God's own heart? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. Um, Lord, uh, we, we thank you for the story and we thank you for the example of David's life. Not that he was perfect, not that he had everything going on. God, but he always recognized you as king in the good times and the bad. And we thank you for that. And we ask that, that we be able to take that and kind of replicate that in our lives. Help us to view you as our king. You're in charge. Help us to give our lives over to you. God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.